0: it's great to see all of you out this morning and the singing was amazing especially those of you singing online it was really really good the rest of you in the room did a great job too but it, it's so nice it's so nice to have the room full on a weekend and we miss our saturday night service but it wasn't last night just a blast to be here with our community and with our friends and uh, kids, I'm gonna send you down just a minute, but I wanna do a couple things first. First of all, thanks to all of you who contributed in so many ways. The tens and 20 pounds of meat, the cooking, the, the hay rides, the candies, the trunks, all of those things that went in to last night was just spectacular. So thank you for that and we look forward to next year and we're so grateful to God for the beautiful weather and for the property to be able to do this. And so thank you for serving your community The chili cook-off is always a highlight of the night, and uh, it's something that we've celebrated for years. Terry Jellison was with me when we started that several years ago, and uh, he's the famous red-hot chili maker. And uh, yeah, and so this year we had a record number of contestants in the chili cook-off. And if you didn't get to sample some of that, it was really, really good this year. I think I tried almost every one. But the tallies in late last night, we were able to tally all of these votes. And first of all, Robert Browning was disqualified. He was going around getting, uh, you know, votes for his cancer and stuff. And so, you know, he was disqualified. In fact, to pay for that this morning, he's having a COVID test, the one where they start back here and they run it all the way up and back out again. So that's where he's at this morning. Yes, wow was right. Wow was right. You can thank, thank the Kentucky governor for that down there. But the most unique, the most unique, we have a prize for the most unique chili, and this year that went to Miss Victoria Poland. Victoria, will you stand up? And as the most unique, we, we got her a bigger pot so she can fix some more for next year. But that was awesome, Victoria, really good job. Robert usually leads the spiciest, but Terry Jellison returned this year and had the spiciest chili. And so, Terry, I've got some aloe vera. I understand if you drink this, it'll soothe you all the way through. All right, so I'll have this for you right up here. You might want to offer that to a few of the people that had your chili last night. And then this one was really, really close. Bigelow always brags about his chili. And we found out the first year that he bought chili at Wendy's. We found all the empty containers. But this year, his brother-in-law beat him by one point. By one point, Mr. Graham Jones gets the silver spoon. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah. Yep. It's yeah. <laughs> yes. Yep. I knew he would be hollering for a recount. So we'll assemble some of you later in the service for that. Kids, uh, fifth grade and under, it's good to have you up here. Head on downstairs as quietly as you can. Jump from the top step down. Do whatever you want to do once you get down there, but have a safe time and enjoy yourselves. The rest of us. I want you to grab a Bible or your e-reader, and I want you to turn with me to the opening book of the Bible, Genesis, Genesis chapter 24. We're going to pick up in about verse 7. Now, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, we see God's people facing off with literal giants huge armies of people the giant people of Canaan the promised land as they would have to go in and conquer this land the giant Goliath that we talked about as we launched this series and the reason why we see God's people facing off with these giants and we see God doing miraculous things in the Old and New Testament is for this purpose It is so that we can know that God is with us today and that we can trust him and that he has the power to help us face off with the giants that we have in our lives. Giants like fear. Giants like anxiety and depression. Giants. Giants like grief. And the idea, the concept of eternity, that there is life after this brief life here on this earth, and this weekend, the giant of romance. Now, as soon as Sarah heard the topic, she chose a seat in the very back this weekend. And I wanted to come in wearing the mustache that she wore last night as a Mario or somebody out there in the fall festival, just to prove that we still have romance, you know, trading the mustaches and everything. But anyway, yeah, she's in the back. But we're not doing the Song of Solomon today. We're going to do, we'll save that for another time when she's sitting up front. We're going to look, we're going to look at two of the most important factors when it comes to romance. Now, the world defines love almost exclusively as a romantic feeling, right? You can just watch the Hallmark movies. I have not gotten to watch the Golden Girls for a week now because Hallmark has started running all these romance movies again. But every one of them, I don't even know why you have to watch for past the first hour. Every one of them, the couple meets, right? The chemistry flows. And then they have this, this terrible thing that they have to overcome. And and you just know it's gonna fall apart. And then at the very end, true love, romance reigns, and they live happily ever after. I'll always remember, I'll always remember the night that our youngest Emma came to bed. We let the girl sleep with us till they graduate high school. But she came to bed, she laid down with Sarah and she leaned into her and she opened her mouth and she put her entire mouth over Sarah's lips and bit them. And you have to know Sarah, Sarah knocked her completely off the bed and said, what are you doing, what are you doing, Emma? And she said, I'm kissing you like they do on the Hallmark Channel. (laughs) Most teens Most teens and young people will ask married couples, perhaps they've asked you, mom and dad, how will I know, how will I know when I meet the love of my life? And almost every married couple responds, don't worry, you'll just know. Because most regard love as an intense, romantic feeling that you can't control. You fall into love like you fall into a ditch. And you fall out of love like you fall out of a tree, right? And this is when the giant is born. This is when the giant is born. The giant of romance is defined as a feeling, a feeling of excitement and mystery, a feeling that we often chase after all of our adult life, a powerful force that makes us feel connected to someone in a deeper way. And friends, it's a giant that has misled all of us at one point or another until we choose to face off with the truth about God's plan between one man and one woman. And so this week, we go back to the beginning, almost to the beginning. Here in Genesis chapter 24, when a man named Abraham, you remember Father Abraham, Abraham had many sons. And when his son Isaac when it became time for Isaac to know love, it says that Abraham, in his culture, sent a servant off to find to find someone from his faith and his background for Isaac to marry. Abraham told his servant in verse 7, there are two qualifications for this search. One, I want you to find a wife from my own country, my own background in verse eight. I want you to make sure she will relocate. She needs to move here, why? Because this is the land that God has given us to live in. And there's one other detail that we could overlook very easily here. And I want you to circle it in your Bible and it's in verse seven. Abraham doesn't send his servant to make this choice blindly. This isn't just an act of tradition. In fact, I believe this is an act that should be resurrected and applied today. Me and Robert Browning agree on this. Our girls will not marry anyone unless we approve of them. And that is in verse 7. He says, God will send his angel ahead of you, servant, so that this can be accomplished. And this is just a, a side note for those of you who are wondering if God has someone for you. Listen, just as God had Eve for Adam, a helpmate, a partner in which to share this short journey that we have on this earth, I believe God will do the same for you. But you need to be seeking him out. You will not find, you will not find the love of your life in a bar. You will not find the love of your life out here someplace other than where you're at right now. He will bring them to you, I assure you. And I'm going to explain this throughout the service today. Verse 10, the servant takes 10 camels, all kinds of gifts. He makes his way to the town of Nahor, where he stops at a watering hole. And this servant prays to God for guidance on this mission that he's been given. Verse 12, O Lord, be kind to my master Abraham and help me to be a success In this mission, give me a sign of what girl you want for Isaac. And then then the servant does something unique in his prayer. He says, see, I'm standing beside this spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar, they carry them up on their head or on their shoulder, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, that she will say drink and I'll get water for your camels too. Let her be the one that you have chosen for your servant Isaac. Now God's selection for Isaac was a lady, a young girl by the name of Rebecca. Verse 15 says that before the servant had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. Now, for time's sake, if you want some good bedtime reading tonight, I want you to read the rest of that encounter between the servant and Rebecca and her family. We'll skip over the nose ring part and things like that maybe you don't want to to do, guys, when you're looking for a wife for your son-in-law. Don't don't take a ring and put it in her nose and lead her home. Don't, Don't do that. So we'll skip over that part. But in verse 63, I want us to see... The part of the story when Isaac meets Rebecca, mind you, for the first time, verse 63. Isaac's out in the field one evening. I suppose that he might be praying. This is a 500-mile journey that the servant's been on, so it's been days since he left. He's wondering, how's God going to answer this prayer for someone to love? By the way, Isaac's 40 years old at this point, right? I was almost that old when I married Sarah. And you wonder, is there somebody for me? He looked up and he saw the camels approaching in verse 63. And I think his heart just about pounded out of his chest. I know this because when I stood at 34 years old at the end of an aisle, a long runway in a church packed with 600 people, and Sarah turned that corner and came in the door, I almost hyperventilated In fact, you can hear it on the recording as I saw her for the first time. But I want you to read and listen very closely to Isaac's experience, verse 63. Isaac ran out to meet the caravan. Rebekah also saw Isaac running. She got down from her camel and she asked the servant, Who is that man running through the field to meet us? He's my master, the servant answered. That's the man you are going to marry. And then listen to this. She took her veil and covered herself, right? This is what all the women do at Bible college when they're looking for a husband. They, they, they hide their face because they want to try to trick them into marrying them. No. But notice, she didn't go get all dolled up with lipstick. <clears throat> she didn't put on the lift kit. She didn't go get a sultry dress and high heels. You know, you know, I think, some of you just got that. I think, listen, <clears throat> all of this started several years ago. Some of you, may, this may have happened to you, but can you imagine, can you imagine what it's like to date a beautiful blonde, blue eyes, all the curves and everything that you, 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 you want and imagine? And then you wake up the next morning after they've taken the, what do you call those things? Spanks off. After they've taken the spanks off and the lift kit off and, and they take out their contacts and they've got one brown eye and one green eye and they take off their hair, you know, and they've got that fluacia or whatever that is where it's real thin and falling. Can you imagine? Some of you know. I know, I'm sorry for you. <clears throat> so she took her veil and she covered herself. Well, oh, she must be a dog. <laughs> now listen. Isaac doesn't get to see Rebecca's face until they're married. Can you imagine that? It's so different from the way. It's so different from the way that we think about marriage today. Verse 66. Then the servant told Isaac all that he had done. And the final verse of the chapter is our key verse for today. It says... Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, who was already dead, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. death. Now, I've held that, that verse on the screen because I want you to notice the sequence of events in that verse. It doesn't say that Isaac fell in love with her and then they got married based on romance. It says she became his wife and then he loved her. That's an entirely different sequence altogether. And here's what God is showing us. And please bear with me. I know this is very foreign to us. While romance is a loving feeling we all desire, it is an elusive giant unless unless we realize love is an act of will not just an emotion of the heart love is an act of will not just an emotion of the heart we've heard songs about falling in love i can't help falling in love with you right the doors you've lost that loving feeling hello i i think i love you won't you tell me your name right that's one of my favorites which it was so good it was so good to see you guys out there dancing to that rock and roll music even michael jackson last night that dan was playing out there my wife sings how great thou art no she doesn't she sings he drives me crazy but i can't help myself right now there's an emotional experience certainly But friends, that's infatuation. We can be so physically and emotionally attracted to someone that the chemistry is right and it creates just the perfect atmosphere. It creates excitement. There is a noticeable change in our heart rate like I had when Sarah walked down the aisle. Our breathing, our knees get weak. Our mind is on a one-track focus and we think, I found love. And let me tell you, infatuation is fun. I love it. Norman Wright calls it cardiac respiratory love. Another defines infatuation, though, as a genetic trick that gets two people together to learn real love. Isn't that true? Haven't you experienced that yourself? You see, when the Bible describes love, it doesn't say much about feelings, but it says a whole lot about behavior, the Greek word used in the Bible. Most often to describe this type of love between a man and a woman is agape love, which conveys the thought, do the right thing regardless of feeling. When the Apostle Paul defined love in 1 Corinthians 13, notice, notice the determination to do the right thing regardless of feeling. It says love is is patient. Boy, patience is not a feeling. That is a act. That is a very intentional choice. Love is kind. Sometimes the last thing we want to be is kind. But love isn't a feeling. It's an action. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It isn't proud. It isn't rude. Doggone it. It isn't self-seeking. Honey, just just come over here. Sit on daddy's lap. It isn't easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. How many of you have a list? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always perseveres. That's why love, romance will fail, infatuation will run out, But love will never fail. W.A. Criswell, a famous Baptist preacher, one of my first Bibles came from my grandmother and grandfather. I think they funded Liberty University back when it was being built. So they get all these free Bibles. And one of my Bibles, my favorite study Bibles, W.A. Criswell. And he said that he'd been married for over 50 years. And sometimes he loved his wife so much he could just eat her up. But some days he wished he had. love love is not love is not an uncontrollable emotion but a decision of the mind love's not an uncontrollable emotion but a decision of the mind it's choosing patience when we're tired of waiting for a response it's choosing kindness even when we are hurt It's choosing to protect even when we wanna tear down and destroy. It's choosing to trust even when trust has been broken before. It's choosing to persevere even when everything inside of us is saying to quit. And while that's great, let's admit, it's difficult to consider love between a man and a woman outside of the giant influence of romance and infatuation. And so let me submit to you that I believe that they can both exist. In fact, I believe with all of my heart that that's the picture that God has in mind for us. I believe romance and infatuation come after choosing to love regardless of feelings. And here's why. Real love can be learned and true romance can be experienced. Real love can be learned and true romance can be experienced. Two reasons why I believe this. One, the Bible commands us to love. Husbands, love your wives. God will not command you to do something that you cannot control that you cannot do with his help. Number two is I've seen dozens of people do it. You're the ones that are out there going, "Mm mm-hmm, that's right, yes, because I've seen you do it. You've chosen this, and I've seen my wife do it. And so in these few minutes that we have, I want to give you some real practical ways to find romance inside the marriage relationship. First is this. Lead your heart, don't let it lead you. Lead your heart. And You hear us use the same point over and over again. You lead your heart, don't let it lead you. William James, the author of modern day psychiatry, psychology, wrote, if you act the way you wish you felt, if you act the way you wish you felt, you will eventually, you will eventually feel the way you act. Now, some of you think that's hypocrisy, but listen, it's not. It's the concept behind the love dare that came out several years ago after the movie Fireproof. 40 days, 40 days of putting 1 Corinthians chapter 13 into practice. It's the dare to do things that you may not feel like doing, but it will change your feelings. How? Because it transforms your heart. You see, you and I, we have been given the power by God to take our heart off of one thing and set it on another. That is a very powerful thing. And it is within every one of us. We have the power to take our heart off of one thing and set it on to another. You need proof, I'll give you some scriptures. You can write them down and you can read them in context. Proverbs 23, 17. Do not let your heart envy you. Sinners. It doesn't say try not to. It says do not let. Proverbs 23 19. Keep your heart on the right path. It doesn't say wander around, just let the stars guide you. Keep your heart on the right path. First Kings eight, sixty-one. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly devoted to the Lord your God. Now that's an interesting one. Let your heart and notice the context that it's in, to be fully devoted to God. Listen, this is the way you were created, was to be fully devoted by God. But some of you aren't letting your heart go there. You're keeping parts of it. Be obedient. John 14:27, we love this one. don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be fearful, don't let it. James 4, 8, purify your heart. You you get where I'm going with this. If you only do what you feel like doing, you are vulnerable to all kinds of perverted activity. But if you act out of obedience, then eventually your feelings will change. And that, my friends, is not hypocrisy. That's simply obedience. Now, those of you that are in any kind of sport, you've had your coach tell you to change your grip, to change your stance, to move this way and this way. Now, at first, when you're not used to doing that, it's difficult to do. It is uncomfortable. It feels completely out of normal for you to do that. But your coach insists Your coach insists if you wanna be the player that you can be, if you wanna reach your potential, what do you have to do? You have to move the way the coach tells you, right? Right, you don't call that being hypocritical, do you? You call that developing. You call that learning something. You call that changing things. And so I simply ask out of respect to all of you who feel at times that you've fallen out of love with your spouse, Friends, it doesn't matter how you feel. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he has commanded you. You have made a covenant before him. Either one of you is going to die or you're going to figure this out. Right? No. You don't believe that. You don't believe that. Because we see marriages falling apart every day. Just like the world. Just like the world. Boy, this week's going to be a big week for that, isn't it? Second, mature spiritually together. Mature spiritually together. I want you to write off to the side, and I, I just, I dare you to do this. If I had the money to pay you to do it, I'd do it. Which, by the way, we do pay for you to go to counseling with the most exceptional counselor that I've ever met And I'm I'm not one of those guys that believes in a lot of that stuff. But when you need it, I've got a counselor for you. 99.9% effective in all 50 plus situations that I've sent you to. But friends, this is where the romance fire is lit. For real. Several years ago, I was counseling a, a couple, a young couple engaged to be married, whose parents, whose Christian parents had encouraged them Listen, you guys, whatever you do, don't invest yourselves too fully in the church. Don't be too engrossed in serving. And I remember looking this sweet couple in the eye and saying, you know what, I agree with your parents if you want to have a relationship that's self-focused and void of real blessing and ill-equipped to handle life's challenges that are sure to come. If that's what you want, then you listen to mom and dad. You see, the purpose of marriage is twofold. Go back and read it. Genesis. The purpose of marriage is to provide comfort and help to one another. Why did God create Eve? To provide comfort and help to him. Because it's not good for a man to be alone. We've proven that over and over again, especially with the kids. But second, why does he give us helpmate? So that we can serve the Lord wholeheartedly. Serve the Lord wholeheartedly. Not so we can make beautiful love together, that's a byproduct. So we can serve the Lord. If you aren't serving together, if you aren't maturing together, if you aren't seeking the kingdom together, you are missing out on the blessing. And most of the time, I submit to you that you are growing apart. You're growing apart. Those of you who have faced separation... Examine it for yourself and tell me if this is not true. Jesus said, if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. That means husbands and wives, you surrender yourself first to Jesus Christ. Husbands and wives, you first submit yourself, yourself, Jesus Christ. Don't be unequally yoked. Don't marry an unbeliever. Don't marry a person that isn't part of your faith. Don't marry a person that isn't going to church with you right now and involved. No. You feel like you want to win them over? Then win them over as a friend. Surrender yourself to Jesus Christ. Become obedient and he will bring you together. You go to church together. You sit together. You serve together. You hold hands when you pray together. You're not going to get COVID from your spouse. You might get herpes or something, but <laughs> listen to your preacher. Listen to your preacher. Dan, some of your boys need to know what that means. You talk to them after the service. They're scratching their head back there just wondering. Listen to your preacher. Listen, I don't... I don't make silly jokes about my wife simply to get you to laugh, right? I do it because I want you to pay attention. I do it because I want you to have what we have and what we continue to grow together. You kiss each other hello and goodbye. You build a wall around your marriage that no other man or woman can climb or get through you talk about your spiritual values and you talk about your needs. You live out those values together and you work to meet those needs and there will be no failure that can't be forgiven. There will be no past issue that can't be forgotten and there will be no wound that can't be healed, no flaw that can't be overlooked and guess what? Passion and romance will be yours like never before. Most importantly, don't expect others to do what only God can do. You know, facing off with this giant of romance is understanding that love is from God. Oh, we want it to come from other people and we want to be that person for someone else. But love comes only from God. He is the source. And only those of you who have allowed God into your life through faith in his son, Jesus, only those who have received the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit living inside of you, believing in his death and resurrection, and those of you who submit to his authority in your life and intentionally follow his spirit's lead, only you are able to tap into love that fulfills. Any other love is an imitation It's always coming up short when put to the test. The apostle John said, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves is born of God and knows God and whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Psalm 37 four says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And oh does he, oh does he. Romance is a giant. Romance comes and goes. I submit to you though that when romance is the focus, love tends to be far away. When romance is the focus, love tends to be far away, but when love is the focus, choosing to love, then romance is just around the corner. It's very, very near. You know, sadly, late in Isaac and Rebecca's marriage, their relationship began to sour. 20 years of infertility does that. Some of you can relate to the different stressors on marriage and love, and it did for Isaac and Rebecca. After she did conceive, she carried twins. And and these twins, it was as if they were at war inside of her. There was a point when the Lord spoke to her and told her about the future of these twins. But Isaac, Isaac and Rebecca, somewhere along the way, they had stopped talking. They'd probably stopped sharing the same bed. They had stopped talking about God together and what he was doing and they had grown farther apart. And instead of coming clean, instead of admitting the deceit, instead of admitting their own failures to trust each other and to trust God, things ended tragically. Rebecca's heart was hardened and bitter, and Isaac, a frail old man, he didn't even know the difference between his two boys. But the truth is, it still wasn't too late. It still wasn't too late. Both could have turned to the other and come clean and and told each other the truth and they could have continued to have grown together. And I just wonder how many in this room are are like them. (laughs) You can remember the day that she came into your life or he did. Oh, there was a veil. There's a veil because you really didn't know that person at first, but through the years you've, You've come to know them. Rebecca was one of the most beautiful women in the Bible, it says. Every sermon I preach, I always have the, the critic in mind, the person who says to themselves, uh, of course, God's the answer to all of these things. What else are they going to say? But this weekend, I, I just want to ask you this. Well, why can't God be the answer? <laughs> You've tried everything else. Why can't God be the answer why does the answer always have to be in a textbook written by someone who many times haven't even experienced what you've experienced why, why does it have to be a quote from social media that, that's your mantra why does it have to be a scientist's hypothesis or even your own experience why not why not God why not the one who created you Why not the author of life, the giver of every perfect gift, including marriage, the one who wrote the book? Why not the source of all love, the one who loves you in all the ways that he has called you to love others? The one who came to this earth and laid down his life for you, all because of love? Why not? Why not God? October was Pastor Appreciation Month, seems like a month ago, it's just been a day. But I appreciate so many of you who took time to give us a call, and those of you who prayed for us, and those of you who shared a word of encouragement, and uh, certainly those of you who gave us gift cards to a restaurant, we're very grateful for you. You know, we have an amazing, we have an amazing staff here. I would put them up against Anyone? Their longevity amazes me. Their commitment to, to staying through the thick and the thin. The youngest being four years with us now. Brandon, he says he's been here 30 years. I've only been here 15. But let me just mention some of the things that I am so grateful for. Dan, Dan if it weren't for Dan and for the experiences that God has given him in life, we wouldn't have the online presence that we do today. And I know those of you that are watching, you have enjoyed the quality of the music. Sorry, we can't do much with the preaching. But it's just amazing. It's amazing to be able to tune in and listen when you're unable to be here. And I'm so grateful for that and the the many things. He's got some exciting, exciting things planned for us this fall and Christmas. David, David, he's held two retreats in the last month that have taken weeks to plan and put together. This kid is a master at putting together these events that are enriching, that are real. What he does on Saturday nights with now 60, 70, 80, sometimes 90 students, the baptisms that we're seeing, the young men going off to Bible college, so grateful, so grateful. Pam and Amy, they're almost forgotten sometimes until they get to raising the roof down there. <laughs> but did you know that they've had to open two more classrooms just during this pandemic, we call it? Let me tell you, the only pandemic going on is, is this decision that we're faced with as a nation. Are we gonna be a nation of God or are we gonna be a nation of free for all? In fact, let's, let's lower the roof for Amy and Pam this morning. Just give them a good foot stomp out there. Have a little fun. Yeah, that's, that's the way, yeah. Let them know, let them know that we appreciate them down there. Yeah, the kids are crying now, it's a good time. Yeah, it's awesome. That's awesome. Yep. Brandon, Brandon, I, I mean, what, what do you say about Brandon? The, the life groups that you have, every day of the week there's an opportunity to be with other people. And you guys are coming out in record number to share life with each other. Two new group, listen to him down there, talking back. His preaching, his preaching, he is so ready to take over, he's just gnawing at the bit and putting uh, all kinds of stuff in my food so I'll be sick on the weekends. (laughs) His new member group on Monday night that some of you are a part of where he's just leading you down that path of understanding the Bible and God's word and what it is to be part of the church. And then we've got Bob and Tracy and Charity who just provide such exceptional support. But let's thank God right now for all of them. I am so grateful for them. But while I appreciate all of them, today I'm most grateful for my wife, who's chosen love over and over again in our marriage. While you would think it would be I that should be the example, and I should be, this year has been one of the most challenging years for me in my ministry, for obvious reasons. And it's been the most challenging in our marriage. But she has loved me this year, and she has stuck with me and we have come out on the other side of my season of depression, more infatuated, more romantic, but with such a deep, deep appreciation and love in our hearts for one another. I am so grateful for you, Sarah. And the reason I say this is because I want that for every one of you, I do. If I could do it for you, I would, but I can't. Only you can. And you have to choose God first to be able to do it. He is the only way. He's the one that's there when you're in the valley, and he's the one who sets you on the mountaintop. It's him, and it's him alone. Surrender to him in baptism for the forgiveness of your sins. And for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then align yourselves with God's plan for love. Align yourself with God's plan for love. And then live it. And then live it. Let's stand and let's pray together. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for all who have dialed in on their smartphones and TVs. Thank you, Lord, for this amazing room full of people people who love you, God, people who are seeking you, people who came here wondering what all the fuss is about. I pray, Father, that they've seen you. I pray that they've seen what you can do with poor, pathetic people like me, the way that you change us and transform us and use us and and put so much love in us for each other. And I pray that for them. I pray this for our world today. I pray, Father, that we will turn back to you that will follow you and that will not go astray again and again and again. But, the Father, we would stick with you and that we would let you do your work inside of us and inside this land, that you would heal it one more time, God, and give us the opportunity. May we go into all the world today proclaiming with the love we have for one another the reality of you. In Jesus' name, amen. For God so loved the world, friends, he loves you. Come as we sing.